All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunday School in Flushing Bible Church. Uh, you could pray for me this morning, trying to uh, deal with the state of Michigan 15 minutes before church is not a good idea. So, <laughs> trying to pay our state licensing fee. And it didn't go well. We can also be in prayer for the... Uh, technical stuff in the back, some issues as usual this morning. So uh, with that, let's open with a word of prayer and we'll get started this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather together around your word and we just thank you for the creation that we live in. We thank you that you are the creator of all things seen and unseen, that you are the sustainer that, of everything, that you are holding it all together uh, by the word of your power. And we thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word so that we can know you and know what you expect of us. We thank you for the salvation that we have through faith in Christ. And we thank you for the promise that you will build your church, as you said in Matthew. And we are living that today. And we just pray that we would be faithful to the things that you have for us to do as individuals and as a church body and we just pray for the teaching of your word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we have a uh, few articles to go through this morning that are kind of, yeah, there were some issues I noticed, so they're not, you can't really see them all that well, unfortunately, uh, on the screen, and... I've got it on my phone, though, so that's good. Uh, this one, these actually have very much to do with our lesson this morning in Proverbs as well. And the headline, this is from the Washington Post. Uh, headline from July 18th, 2022, gender transitions at school spur, spur debate over when or if parents are told. And these are things that are going on in our uh, schools today, in our world, which is just uh, very, very sad. It mentions this, uh, and it gets so confusing, too. It's hard to keep track of, of what, what the person actually is. I believe that this is a girl who is, uh, quote-unquote, transitioning to be a boy. Alexander Batson came out at school to an English teacher. The revelation was made in a short letter on a piece of lined notebook paper handed to the teacher as the eighth grader, eighth grader, left class one day. The teen explained that while they were teen, I mean like 13, <laughs> the teen explained that while they were assigned female at birth, they identified as a transgender and gender fluid. So if you're not up with all of this kind of uh, language in these things. It is a direct assault on, on the natural creation that is so obvious to anyone who is observing that as the Bible says, we are created male and female. And those who hate God and hate the Bible are attacking that and introducing children to the idea that, uh, well, just because you're, uh, the way that you are born is, 
one thing, you can decide yourself to be something else. Now that ought to remind us of kind of some of the things that we've been talking about in Proverbs of living outside of the reality of God's creation. This is the, this is the quintessential example of that. And so this uh, girl was surprised at the teacher's response that was positive towards, towards the child. And uh, this was six months before the, the girl ter- told her parents. And it says, uh, surprisingly, many families nationally, uh, surprising many families nationally, public schools often don't inform parents when students socially transition. They see confidentiality as a priority, operating under gender identity guidelines that put student privacy and safety above family consent or knowledge. So this is uh, a policy of the schools that if a child, make no mistake, an an eighth grader is a child, goes to their teacher and claims to be a different gender than what they actually are, uh, they, they are, the teachers are obligated to not tell the parents. That's part of the deal. So this is a Washington Post article just kind of a generic uh, article about one case in particular, which brings us to article number two. And this one, yeah, the pop-up comes up. If you could get rid of that for us so we can see the Fox News uh, headline here. June 10th, 2022. It's not working. Uh... You can't just X out of that with the mouse? Is it stuck? Okay, whatever. The headline says, <laughs> Michigan Middle School hides student, students' transgender status from parents. Michigan uh, public school. A Michigan public school is hiding the transgender status of a student from the parents, allowing the student to go by a different name and pronoun while directing, directing teachers not to inform the mother of the student about the transition. Uh, They speak of an email that was obtained by Fox News addressed to teachers. This is in Fraser, Michigan, by the way. A school counselor warns teachers ahead of the school's parent-teacher conferences to only use the student's birth name and refer to the pronoun he when talking to the student's mother. The counselor refers to the student who is a biological male by their chosen female name and pronoun throughout the email, but informs the teachers that the parent is unaware of this transition. So it goes on. Uh, There were some, yeah, under under the uh, administration of former President Barack Obama in 2016, the Department of Education issued guidance that prohibited discrimination on the basis of gender identity and directed schools to treat students in a way consistent with their chosen gender. The guidance was rescinded under the administration of former President Donald Trump less than a year later, who argued that Title IX protections only apply to biological sex and not gender identity. So 
Title IX is kind of the is the the direction that is being used uh, to allow men to compete against women in uh, college sports and this kind of thing, uh, saying that it's that the discrimination is not allowed based on uh, your chosen identity was the interpretation of uh, President Obama and uh, not what you are born as or what your biological sex is. President Biden article goes on to say once again changed the guidance when he took office in 2021 citing the U.S. Supreme Court uh, ruling to extend Title IX protections to gender identity. So this is this is happening right here in the state of Michigan and here's another article this one is another yeah for some reason they're just not showing up to be able to read them well uh, with these articles but this is an article that just came out this week September 14th 2022 it's in the city journal by a man by the name of Christopher Rufo and it says the Michigan Department of Education this is just this past week September 14th Michigan Department of Education has adopted a radical gender theory program that promotes gender fluidity beginning in elementary school and encourages teachers to facilitate the sexual transition of minors without parental consent. Uh, the, the program, the training program that is, has been abdo- uh, adopted here, he obtained videos, the author of this article, obtained videos and internal uh, communication about from the state of Michigan what they're actually doing here and the training program mimics the basic narrative of academic queer theory the presentation claimed the pres- the presenters claim that the west has created a false notion that gender is binary one or the male or female that's according to the presenters in this a false uh, notion in order, and they're doing this, supposedly, in order to oppress racial and sexual minorities. In response, the department encourages teachers to adopt the principle of intersectionality, a key tenet of critical race theory, in order to dismantle systems of oppression, which are replicated throughout the culture and institutions of education. So intersectionality, that's the... the uh, the idea that we have to, that people who are otherwise diametrically opposed in their beliefs, like, for example, Muslims and the uh, homosexual agenda, that they're going to come together because they have a common goal uh, of dismantling the United States of America and everything that our country was founded on. And, oh, what do they have in common? They hate God. And so they, they are opposed to him at every possible level. And they'll even put aside their, their differences, like, for example, in Muslim countries, being thrown off of a building if you are involved in these things. But in America, oh, we'll, we'll partner with you because we want to ruin the country. Uh, and so in a statement, statement, Michigan Department of Education defended the program as respecting all children and meeting the needs, uh, meeting their student needs. The first step to dismantling these systems, according to the presenters, is to disrupt the gender binary. In one presentation, 
trainer, the trainer, Amory Robinson, sorry if I'm mispronouncing the name, who describes herself as a, quote, black, masculine-identified, cisgendered, lesbian baby boomer and uses the African name Kofi Adamo. Odama says that we've been conditioned and we've been uh, accultured in this particular culture that gender is binary. So this, this person who... I, I don't really know any other way to say it, C- cannot possibly be mentally stable if you're referring to yourself this way and giving yourself a different name and all of these kinds of things. These are supposedly the authorities in this area telling us that gender isn't binary. Kind of something to uh, pay attention to. And I could go on and read several other things. Uh, you can look it up for yourself uh, in the City Journal, this article that exposes what the Michigan Department of Education is doing in our uh, the great state of Michigan. And it's very, it's very unfortunate. And these things are, are very much alive and taking place, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. These, these are the kinds of things that are the result of of elections in our country, as as the second article made very clear, uh, one president adopts this outrageous idea that you can choose to be whatever gender you want to be, and and you're protected by the law and public schools. The next president administration comes in and says that's ridiculous, gets rid of it. Then the next one comes in and reinstates it. So these elections right down to our uh, state school board and especially on the local level because this is, these are the people that get right to the heart of the matter in where we live, local school boards, uh, the, the state school boards and these kinds of things. These elections are very, very critical and something that we need to be up on whether we want to or not. So with that, let's go to the Bible and see what it has to say about our uh, personal responsibilities and what we ought to think about on these matters. The book of Proverbs is uh, a, just a wonderful book that has so much relevant information for us. As people in the 21st century, God's Word is unchanging, and God's principles are unchanging, even though uh, these particular words written 3,000 years ago by this man Solomon, uh, they are still, they still get right to, right to the very heart of how we live this wor- in this world today. Per- perhaps they're even more uh, relevant to us today, 3,000 years later, than they were to the people who were reading, reading this in Solomon's day. And so in this book of Proverbs, we get a wonderful idea about how to live as a Christian, even though when Solomon wrote, there was no such thing as a Christian, essentially. Uh, the church had not been invented uh, or uh, constructed, had not been built, as Jesus said in Matthew, that he was going to build 
his church. He had not come and died for the sins of the world 3,000 years ago, but yet this what is written is still directly applicable to us. And part of living like a Christian is not sinning. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Of course, we're not perfect and we do <coughs> fail. But perhaps the main goal of the book of Proverbs is to teach people how to not sin. Uh, as it's been stated, sanctification is not uh, being perfect in this life in terms of living the Christian life. It's not about being perfect. It's not being sinless, but it's about, as it's been stated, sinning less. And that's what the book of, of Proverbs is really all about. How to sin less, particularly our verses today as we look at Proverbs uh, 8 through 19. How to avoid sin. Just say no, like the old uh, Nancy Reagan, uh, how to avoid taking drugs. And she was ridiculed and mocked and oh, what a naive thing to think and say and just absolutely ridiculous. Well, <laughs> common sense sort of tells us if you just say no to taking drugs, then you won't take drugs and that's a, that's a good thing. We can also do that to sin. When we are enticed by sin, we can say no to sin. So we'll look at that today. This book written by uh, the book of Proverbs, written by Solomon, like I mentioned, about a, almost a thousand years before Christ came, primarily. It's about, the book is about wisdom, applying knowledge. And uh, the foundation of wisdom is, or uh, of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. And that's why we can read these things, these articles, read these current events where they're just diametrically opposed to God and the principles that are inherent in his creation, like male and female, for example. Why, why, how could these people be thinking these things? Well, there's no fear of the Lord. That, that's why they think these things and try to push them on other people. And this is a, a book of poetry, which it will be very important for us to see uh, this morning. As we look at Just Say No, uh, How to Avoid Sin, we'll see the role of parents and that you need to, in order to, and that's going to be our focus this morning, we probably won't get very much past the role of the parents, but uh, you need to make another step to avoiding sin is to make a decision ahead of time. And that's what essentially Solomon is warning his uh, son about here. And then he, he points out the folly of ill-gotten gain. That's what this section, uh, verses 8 through 19, is about ill-gotten gain, gaining uh, uh, material wealth by means of violence, essentially, and, and how that is just complete folly. But, but you could apply this to any sin. This is just the one that Solomon uh, happens to choose in this in this particular section, because uh, he he has some some main points that he wants to make in his uh, in these proverbs to his son, because he uses some main points because these are things that that young men in particular 
are very vulnerable to. And one, one of them is supposedly easy money. And so he uses this example here. Another one will be immorality that we'll see uh, later in Proverbs 5 and 6. That's something that young men, old men, men in general are vulnerable to. So there's a, a lot of focus on that particular area. But we begin with uh, the role of the parents. Notice Proverbs 1, beginning in verse 8, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole. As those who go down to the pit, we will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will, find our, we will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. But it, Solomon begins with the role of the parents there in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And this is... Uh, you. You don't have to be a, a, have a PhD in sociology to see that a lot of America's problems in particular and the world in general is that this has been completely disregarded. Verse 8, there's the, the family is under absolute assault in, uh, in America and in the world in general. The overwhelming majority of or I don't know if it's overwhelming, but the majority of children in Europe, for example, are, are not born to a mother and father who are married, living in the same house. And I read uh, just recently that that's becoming the case in America too, that, that children, for the most part, the majority of children are not being born to parents who are married, living in the same house and raising the children. This is a, this is a real uh, issue, obviously. And so uh, he begins with this phrase, hear my son, your father's instruction. Uh, and it's important to realize, again, that this is a book of poetry. And so even though Solomon directs this teaching towards his son, it has application, obviously, to all of us. And whether you're a girl or a boy or uh, a fully adult man or woman, obviously this has uh, direct application to each and every one of us. He, but this is a book of poetry. And so as he's writing, he uses a method and he uses this method throughout, throughout the book of Proverbs that he is writing this poetry as if he is speaking to his own children. He's teaching his own children. That's just his, the, the method of his art essentially. And that's what poetry is. It's art. It's a form of art. 
So this is very important for us to keep in mind when we watch movies, when we read books, when we even look at a piece of art. The artist, author, director of the movie, uh, painter of the picture, that person is not just mindlessly giving you a story or a picture. Oh, look at that beautiful picture to look at. Oh, have you seen this movie? It's just fantastic. It's just the greatest entertainment of all time. This particular novel, oh, you can just get lost in this book, and oh, it's just wonderful. That's not their intention. Every piece of art, book, movie, uh, short story, novel, whatever it is, is trying to get you to think something, whether it's Star Wars or The Little Mermaid or Rocky. (laughs) There is a worldview behind what they are teaching. They're just using the method of film or uh, literature to get that, what they are thinking across to you and have you agree with their worldview. Solomon is no different. The Bible is is, uh, in these particular parts of book that uh, parts of the Bible that are poetry or wisdom literature, it's exactly the same thing. It's a form of, it's an art form that God is using in order to instill a biblical worldview to you, the reader. And so important to keep in mind when you're watching some sort of entertainment on Netflix or, or whatever, they're trying to get you to think something. And not that it's wrong to understand uh, the world's view uh, on things. It's just good. You need to have it be critically thinking as you're watching uh, movies. And I actually, that brings up another point that I saw a video this week where the, the person was talking about how TV in general is literally designed uh, to essentially turn your critical thinking off and allow you to intake the whatever is being presented to you. It it is the perfect brainwashing uh, method, essentially. So remember that as you're you're watching things. They're trying to get you to think something. And this is no different. Solomon is just using the method of poetry to instill biblical thinking to you. And so he uses this phrase, here, my son, your Father's instruction, point to be taken away from that. Uh, Children need a father. And this term for instruction, we'll notice that instruction and teaching, two different words in English, there are two different words in Hebrew as well. And this term for instruction is musar, and it means uh, everywhere else that it's used, or most of the places that it's used in the Bible it refers to something along the lines of discipline or chastening or correction. And this is true in the human realm as can be seen in the animal realm. There was a study that they did about elephants in uh, Kenya where they took away all of the, or there, I don't know if this it was on purpose or not, but there weren't any older uh, adults fully adult male elephants in this particular area. And the young 
male elephants were running roughshod. And it was in kind of a, like a park setting in Kenya, an enormous park. But they were tearing down the trees, tearing down the fences, just destroying the place. So what do we do? Oh, we need to introduce some adult male elephants into this park area. That's exactly what they did. And lo and behold, the destruction of the park came to an end quickly. The same is true in the human realm as well. We can, you can look at uh, nearly any culture in, in the world. If there is not strong male leadership uh, that's going on in the community, the young, the young kids are going to, the young males in particular, are going to uh, ruin things for everyone. And this uh, statement is true, of course, in the New Testament as well. That's how we can know that uh, these principles apply to us very directly. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is something that, that needs to be done uh, in our families if we expect the children to act in a way that is appropriate. If we expect our children to grow up with biblical worldview, well, it's not that, and this isn't a chastisement against anybody who finds themselves in in a situation where this isn't taking place or can't take place, but we've got to understand that the Bible is giving us the standard, and this is what we ought to be striving for. And uh, so fathers need to be playing a role in the, the raising of the children, and it's one primarily of discipline and correction and instruction in what is proper behavior and the uh, willingness to correct it when it isn't right. Colossians 3.21 also says, fathers do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. So, you know, obviously this can be taken too far, uh, this idea of discipline and and correction and these kinds of things. Uh, So you need, as a father, you need to be careful that you're not stepping over those bounds and going too far in this with the children so that they don't get exasperated, lose heart and say, you know, forget this. I'm not, I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna go along with you. I'm gonna uh, rebel against you. And if I'm, uh, don't do it before I turn 18, I'm probably gonna do it after I leave because I don't want anything to do with this. So obviously there's a line to, uh, that you don't want to go across in this idea of raising your children in uh, with discipline and correction. But nevertheless, the Bible here is uh, making very clear what the role is. And we're going to see there's a different role for the mother. Uh, I guess we'll just go there now. Notice it says uh, children need a mother as well. It doesn't say that, but it, it says in second half of verse eight, and do not forsake your mother's 
teaching. Children need a mother also. Teaching is the, the Hebrew word Torah, and it means uh, instruction, direction, teaching. It's also, I'm sure, uh, a term that we're familiar with. Uh, the law is called the Torah also, and this is the role of the mother. And notice uh, that, that uh, of course, this is God's design for the family. And he designed the family in this particular way so that it will succeed. And this is what the, uh, is under assault, absolute frontal assault in our culture. And even right here in our own home state, these kinds of ideas are just absolutely being uh, attacked at every turn, even though it is exactly what the Bible describes. Uh, a father and a mother working together uh, to raise the children in a way that is acceptable to the Lord. And here Solomon mentions both roles because they're both important. Again, it, you know, uh, single mothers primarily are the ones that that are the most prominent and single mothers can raise children who come to love the Lord and are Christian people who are uh, good citizens of the world, if you will, uh, good Christians. But that isn't God's ideal. And it's a whole lot harder doing it by yourself than it is with a partner, the father. Uh, and again, this isn't a condemnation of people who are, find themselves in a situation where they're not able to do it, but this is God's standard. And uh, as we, well, we'll just leave it there. Uh, but God designed the, the family in this way, number one, because this is the way that humanity is perpetuated. This is the way that we uh, continue to survive as a species. It takes a, a man and a woman, of course, a, uh, a not your gender identity, but what you actually are in order to perpetuate the human race. And so, the, you know, it's the, uh, the family is the, the building block of society. And so, uh, in order to build a strong society, the cells have to, uh, in a person, the cells have to work the correct way and they work together to build a person. Well, it's exactly the same in a society. The cells have to work together in order to build the strong society. And uh, part of that structure is man and woman married, raising the children, fulfilling their roles so that the next generation will do the same thing. Didn't God just create a wonderful system for us, for us to live in? Uh, and when we don't do it God's way, the system fails. Again, you can see this across the board in, in many different cultures. When they try to do it some other way, the culture fails. Uh, and so the, the, the role of the mother is very prominent throughout the scriptures. 
uh, if we take the time to to look anyway. And we see that we'll see it. We will see it in the book of Proverbs, speaking of uh, Proverbs thirty-one. Uh oh. Network issues. Proverbs thirty-one fifteen says she rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. There it goes. Uh, no, we'll study this, of course, in more detail when, whenever it is that we get to Proverbs 31. But you see the mother here providing for her children. Uh, we'll see that she uh, is rising early while it's still night, making sure that they're taken care of care of proverbs 31 21 she is not afraid of the snow for her household uh, for her household for all her household are clothed with scarlet she's there ready to uh, provide for her children even their safety in in times of danger she is uh, doing these kinds of things for her family second uh, timothy 1 5 Paul, writing to young Timothy, he says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. Well, how did that happen? How did uh, Timothy, how did uh, Eunice learn about her faith and what faith she should have? Well, she was instructed by her mother, Eunice. Timothy was instructed by uh, his, uh, Eunice was instructed by Lois, and uh, Timothy was instructed by Eunice in these things. So not only is a mother uh, uh, providing, nurturing her children, but she's also teaching them, as we see uh, here in the life of Timothy. Notice Titus 2 Verses 3 through 5, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Uh, The word of God is dishonored when we don't uh, operate according to uh, the principles that we find there. And here, this principle is a mother and a father living, obviously, and working together to raise the children, each one fulfilling their own role. And that doesn't mean that one one role is better than the other. One person in this uh, familial relationship is, is somehow... Uh, superior to the other, that there's some sort of inequality there. There, It's just simply two different roles. The role of the father here as being one of discipline, correction, and instruction as well. The role of the mother being one of nurturing, caring for, and teaching as well. But both both parents together uh, doing their roles is God's ideal and is important 
in, the, in this. Uh, step one in avoiding sin, in children avoiding sin, is the children listening to the father's instruction and not forsaking the mother's teaching. It is very, very much step one. So we can take away from that that parents are responsible for their children. All, all we parents out there and uh, grandparents can, of course, play a role in this as well. Parents are responsible for their children, not the state. Uh, if you want some more examples of that, I could look some up as what the state wants to do with your children. And uh, I don't know about you, I don't want my children or grandchildren to be raised under the nurture and admonition of the state of Michigan. I would rather them to be raised according to the scriptures. Now, hold on to your hats. Not even the church is responsible for the raising of your children. Uh, that's uh, a tendency that people can have, you know, oh, well, I'll just bring my kids to Sunday school and they'll teach them uh, everything about Jesus and, and how to live and be a Christian. And, you know, I just can't take that burden. No, that's not how it works. And again, there are a myriad of examples of uh, children who were brought to church by their grandchildren or dropped off by their grandparents. And, you know, they grew up to be great Christians. Well, of course, of course there are. I, I can assure you that I can show you 99 examples of children who weren't taught these principles by their uh, parents uh, to every one, 99 bad examples to every one uh, good example, uh, it should be obvious that the parents are the ones who are and have, should have, are supposed to have the most influence over, over the children. And the inventors, if you will, of public education knew this very uh very strongly. Uh, you can look up quotes from people like John Dewey and, and the founders of public education in America that, where they state, you know, hey, we have the kids eight hours a day in the public schools. The church has them for an hour. Uh, who's going to win? Uh, well, if the parents aren't doing their jobs at home, uh, the public school's going to win. And lo and behold, where do we find ourselves Today. The Bible presents something that's very different from dropping your kids off at Sunday school or dropping your kids off at the public school and just letting them be. Deuteronomy 6, 4, I, I understand this is the law. This was for the nation of Israel. But as a secondary application, the principle is very much the same for us today. Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. Is the Lord our God? As Christians, well, yeah. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Well, that's very true for us. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. 
That is telling us to, to live these principles, live these godly principles every moment of the day and, being, and be instructing your children at all times. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This, the, the idea of godly living and living for the Lord needs to be something that is just firmly imprinted upon us. 2 Timothy 3, 14, uh, Paul says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. This is uh, your responsibility, parent, and make no mistake, that there are a whole host of churches out there who are just ready to take that role from you and do, do it for you. And well, I guarantee you that every school that's out there is ready to take that responsibility. And doing this, fulfilling your roles, brings honor to your children. It speaks of a wreath here that, that this, if you fulfill your role, verse 9 Fathers instructing their children, disciplining, correcting, mothers teaching, nurturing, instructing them are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. When parents fulfill their roles, it brings honor to the children. It's like a wreath of a champion or the necklace of a ruler is essentially what is described there. And there's a couple of examples of this. Joseph, he received a a necklace of honor uh, from the Pharaoh. And of course, Daniel also uh, received the same kind of necklace that's being described here, Daniel 5.29. So uh, the role of the parents in helping children uh, to not sin, it is foundational. It is absolutely uh, critical that, that uh, parents are fulfilling their roles, uh, the roles that God gave to them. And we will pick it up there next time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for structuring society in a way to help us to be able to succeed. And I just pray that you would help us uh, to do that in our own personal lives. Help us to fulfill our roles that you have given to us. Even if we're not living in an ideal situation, we can still do our best to to follow these principles. I just pray that you would help us to do that, and we ask for your will to be done in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.